back to the Everybody's Soccer Podcast. This is your host, Bill Reno. This week we have Tom Serratori, who I first met in 2015 at Camp Shutout, and since then he's done some really wonderful work out at the University of Oregon. Uh, most recently, he was a little bit of a footnote in a NCAA article uh, that featured a little bit more on student athlete Caitlin Wong uh, for their work with the St. Baldrick's Foundation, but I think if you asked him, he would be okay with being the, the smart footnote in that story, as Caitlin has done some really wonderful work up there as well. Uh, so this podcast will deal a little less on the technical, tactical side of goalkeeping and more on how sport can open up doors for a lot of really great work off the field as well. The first couple minutes, we end up getting sidetracked to talking about pizza. You can listen to that or just skip ahead. Uh, but pretty soon afterwards, he talks about his work with the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Uh, are y'all, are, is it freezing up there? What's y'all's weather like? No, it has been 60 this whole week. That is awesome. Oh, okay. I called um, Stan maybe two weeks ago now, and they were still hovering around the, the zero mark. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I take it for sure. It's funny because I'm like, yeah, I want to I wanna go back to the Midwest. And, I have, and then this is happy. I'm like, yeah, do I really want to go back to the Midwest? <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. Um, well, hey, we'll just uh, hop into it. So, uh, first hard-hitting question for you here. Uh, pineapple on your pizza, yay or nay? Uh, I think it depends the type of pizza. Oh, okay. If, okay. It's, if, I'm, if it's like the barbecue type of thing going on, then I could do it. Mm. But if it's just like red sauce, not the biggest fan. Mm, okay, okay. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about the, the barbecue only because I feel like most times I see pineapple, it's, it's with pepperoni and red sauce. But yeah, I, uh, huh, okay. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, and you know, I've very, ever since being in Oregon, I've really gone away from calling that Hawaiian pizza. I've learned that that's not really accurate. Pineapple does not necessarily mean Hawaiian. Some of our Hawaiian players and managers have told us that that is a, a bad stereotype, so I'm trying to stick away from that. <laughs> gotcha. That's fair. That's fair. That's good. Thank you for educating me on that. I uh, I didn't know about the little discourse there. That's good. It's good to know. Well, I do, I do know that you're a, a master craftsman when it comes to pizza, <laughs> so I want you to be fully educated That's in that right. department. That's right. I try to, try to stay. You know, after talking to all those MLS goalkeepers about it, really it was... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm really learning a lot here, so. Oh, absolutely. There's no surprise that Bregazan is picking deep dish, right? Like, that's if right. you're from Chicago, that's your choice. That's right. You have to. You have to, yeah. I Hopefully this summer when I when I swing up to uh, Camp Shedda, I can actually go get some deep dish this time. Every other time it's been so quick in and out, so hopefully we can do that's it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I gotta do that. I mean, you did Portillo, so now deep dish is that's the next right. thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Thank you. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, if you, if you get stranded again, let me know. We can drive off to a pizza place at the end of the Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, how about you rewind a little bit, uh, and go back to when you're ending kind of your time at Valpo. Um, and I remember you, you telling me at one point, uh, that you thought you could have made a jump from going to college to pro. Uh, but you go pretty quickly from, uh, Valpo to Oregon. So I guess kind of walk through that decision and how you ended up from playing at a, a D1 school and then almost immediately being a coach at a, on the woman's side. Yeah, I think, um, got to go back here a couple of years now. But, <laughs> you know, at the time, um, you know, I always knew 
you know, you have as a goalkeeper, I think any goalkeeper can agree with this. Like, you have to be really confident in yourself, or you're not going to really be very good, right? right? And so, of course, I was very confident in myself. I thought I could have done it, uh, but I was also I was I was realistic at the same time. I played one year of my fives. Um, you know, it wasn't. You know, I just didn't. I didn't feel like I wanted to necessarily try to do that and miss on opportunities I had in front of me and the opportunity to go coach the University of Oregon directly out of school was you know it was kind of a dream it was pretty awesome to, to have this experience it's really the opportunity to work under a staff that you know was Cat Mertz, Manny Martins, Christy Welsh at the time now Katie Holtine you've all had national team experience it was something that I felt was really going to be the best for me at that time going forward um and you know i just figured i could either you know be jumping from team to team to team in probably uh, a usl or npsl type of thing or i can jump into this coaching career at a younger age and maybe get a a head up in there and that's kind of the route i took and you know looking back it's been three years now I, i think i made the right decision for me and i think that's the important thing for not just goalkeepers, but anyone is like, people are always going to tell you what you should or should not do. Um, but making the best decision for you is, is important. Right. Well, and you, you talk about that best decision for you. So, um, you know, what have you, uh, I guess, picked up or how, how has your approach to the game changed since being at Oregon? Yeah, I think the, the most interesting thing, right, is so I was a, you know, you're obviously playing my whole life, and then I jump into coaching. And so I instantly saw this college game from a whole new world. Um, I think when you're playing, you take take a, a take for granted the amount of decisions and work that your coaches are doing. I think sometimes the players believe that you show up to the field, throw a practice session on, and then you just like go home and show up on game day. Um, but the amount of hours um, that are in the office recruiting video, I think that is a part. I mean, if you think about it, you probably five to ten percent of your job is actually coaching um, in college, and so you're doing a lot of off the field work that I'm not sure as a player I really knew existed. Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely shifted. You know, my mindset a lot into like looking back onto my college career, like really appreciating my coaches more now. Um, and now I wish I would have known about all of this as I was going through the process for sure. Um, but now as you're doing it, I, I feel like that has really shifted it. But in terms of the game, you know, I've seen it from a whole new perspective. And not just because as a goalkeeper, we're always looking at it from the box straight on. And now as a coach, you look at it from the side of the field, which right, right. I will tell you, it takes a little bit to adjust. When, you, <laughs> when you're looking at the field from a goalkeeper's perspective for 20 years, and all of a sudden you're on the side of the field, you're like, whoa, this is it's like a whole new <laughs> world out there. Yeah. You know, I, I suggest people do that a little bit more often just to see what it's like. Yeah. Um, but I do find myself... Um, kind of floating to the back of the field and, and, and watching from there. Um, but the, just the, the, the things I've learned about the game, just the intricacies have um, really gone up. I, while I haven't had tons of time to be able to go um, 
to all these different coaching courses throughout the country because of being in school while I'm, you know, as the, you know, the grad assistant, all of these things, I feel like I'm getting my coaching education from the staff, you know, all A license, Hmm. all big time coaches, like that's where I'm really learning. And that's, it's really helped develop me over these past three years, I think. Yeah. Well, and you think about the the conference are in, they're just, you know, not to diminish anyone else's conference, but how competitive it is and um, how right. high of a level it is. How would you describe, as far as on the, the goalkeepers go, um, what, a, what a current goalkeeper looks like at the top D1 program? And where would you see, I guess, kind of moving forward, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, like you see them developing, changing uh, to adapt to any sort of part of the game? Yeah. Well, the first thing you brought up is the the Pac-12, and you know they they call themselves they call us we're in it the Conference of Champions for a reason. <laughs> um, I don't know how often, and I'm sure you could probably tell me this, but I don't know how often two teams from the same conference are in the national championship playing each other, which happened this past year with right. Stanford and UCLA. Right, right. Um, and so obviously, once you get into that Pac-12 season, I'm seeing you know the the best players in the conference, some of the best players in the world um, in this conference of the Pac-12. So that's been, it's been awesome to be a part of. In terms of the goalkeeping side of things, you know, I'm not sure what makes a good goalkeeper in one conference, another conference, this part of, you know, you want to call it big time college athletics compared to another part, really changes. I think, you know, obviously the higher you get in terms of any level from youth to college to pro, it, you know, it becomes faster, more athletic, you know, your every decision you make needs to be sharper. Like that comes into play. Right. I think we can all agree with that. Um, if it's going to come down to what I deem as important for goalkeeping, like it's always footwork, you know, footwork for me is the fundamental foundation of goalkeeping. Um, and then your distribution, you know, that has become a huge part of the game. Like, if you don't have good distribution in your goal kicks, um, you know, being played back to, like, you've almost become useless in today's game. And then lastly, something that I find very important, maybe more in the college game, is being able to deal with uh, play balls, crosses. Mm. Um, that's really something I think sets goalkeepers apart, even within a very high conference, you know. You, you know, as a goalkeeper, people, backline defenders will know if your goalkeeper is confident coming off their line, collecting those balls in the air and cleaning it up for you, that instantly is going to set that goalkeeper apart. And I think those three things, each level has to get better and better. But to me, are the three of the most important things I'm looking at when I see like a big time goalkeeper. Um, did you have any, uh, I mean, if, if it was perfect, that's fine. <laughs> did you have any like yeah. uh, troubles jumping from the men's game to the women's game as far as like from a coaching perspective? Because I imagine there's a lot of things you saw, kind of you're talk, talking about from your own box and from the end of the field. But as you're trying to coach, you know, it's still soccer, but there's definitely different aspects of the game. So was there anything that kind of you had to think, oh, I, I hadn't thought about this. This is a different part of the game that I never experienced. You know, I don't, I don't know if there's uh, a part of the game that I've never experienced necessarily going on. Like the rules are the same, dimensions are the same, right. the ball still rolls. Um, so that aspect is there. I think um, when it comes down to it, if I'm looking at it strictly on the 
college game. Um, and, you know, I think if you were to look at it, the men's game is a lot of it is big, strong, fast. Um, I think the women's game is a little bit more, um, you know, pass and move and play and kind of the formation of it all. Um, you know, and that's not taking either something away from either side. Sure, I mean, sure. Obviously, very, very technical players on the men's side. On the women's side, you have big, strong, fast players. Like, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think it's just the overall grand scheme of things. And, you know, when I've seen it, it's maybe in that way. Um, but I, I don't, I can't say that come from the men's side to the women's, it's been like, oh, I've never seen this before. Like, right, right. the game is still being played. And, you know, we all know situations in soccer are different. Every game, every practice, it's always different. There is no set play. So it's not, you know, this thing versus that thing. So it's been. You know, I feel like I've been able to take my experiences and bring them to the table and have been beneficial. And, you know, the things I've been learning hasn't so much been a difference in the game, more so maybe I didn't see it that way. Hmm. That might be a better way to put it. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, now, recently you had something uh, through NCA that got published, and, and I feel like I saw all around the internet. It was a really wonderful article. Um, it was probably focused a little bit more on Caitlin Wong's part of the student yeah, athlete yeah. at Oregon, which was great. Um, but um, I guess part of the maybe a small footnote and all that was uh, you kind of helped get the ball rolling with her as far as her her kind of off the field work. And you've done a lot with St. Baldrick's Foundation. Um, and I, I think you know for a lot of coaches, it's probably easy to say I just want to focus on my career. You know, I just want to do the soccer stuff and whatever off the field stuff you know correlates with just the soccer stuff. Um, but you've obviously done, you know, such a lot through that. So, um, how did that drive first start for you? Uh, sure. you know, how did that first come up? Yeah. I mean, you know, first off, thanks for reading the article. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Um, for anyone who's hearing this, it's an amazing article and everyone should go read it, hear about Caitlin Wong's story. Um, amazing student athlete, but um, to get to your question, the it all started for me back when I was a uh, freshman in high school. I had a, a teammate. His name is AJ Corrado. He played at Indiana or SMU. Then he went to Indiana, and his dad had uh, cancer, lost his hair. So I thought it'd be um, an interesting way to show my support for him by shaving my head through um, this St. Baldrick's head shaving event that I learned about in my high school. Victor J. Andrew High School in Tinley Park, Illinois. So I did that, and then this, the next year, one of my close friends got leukemia. And then it was like, well, now I'm going to shave my head again to support him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it became, I saw, it, the first time I really had this first-hand experience of what childhood cancer really does to someone. And I kind of uh, made it from that moment on that I was going to shave my head until pediatric cancer could be cured. And it's now 12 years later, <clears throat> still not cured. Um, obviously, the fight goes on every day for a lot of people out there and, mm. um, in just different capacities, right? But right. when I was in Velpo, I brought this concept to my goalkeeper coach, Jeff Olick, as well as the head coach from Gabriel. Hey, can we run this event here? They thought it was a pretty good idea. <clears throat> First year, we ran it. We got $5,000 with the whole team by... My fifth year, um, we were running this massive event, hundreds of people coming, shaving their head. Wow. We raised about $60,000, and 
within that time frame, I was actually lucky enough to also be on the cover of the NCAA Champion magazine for my own work with St. Baldrick's. Mm. And that's kind of where it came into play with Caitlin. But I, I came here to Oregon. There, once again, there was no event. And so I went home and got my head shaved. I came back and everyone was like, holy moly, what is going on with your hair? Because pardon me again, normally I have this huge, you know, tons of hair on my head. Yeah. So it's a big difference. What I did is I had him take a photo um, to send to St. Baldrick. So every million dollars, they put this photo on social media. Like, you know, we're celebrating the $30 million we've raised this year. And so we did that. And that kind of sparked the conversation between Caitlin and myself of her wanting to work on this event. <clears throat> and so when, you know, she started to do it and I saw where she was going with this um, and the whole Oregon soccer team really got on board with her. You know, head coach Kat Mertz was all about it. Caitlin runs this amazing event, raises $37,000 in her first year, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so within that time frame from when we took that picture, when she started running her event and when the event actually happened, you know, I, I called up the NCAA champion magazine people that wrote my story said, Hey, I have this story. I think it's too good to pass up. Mm. And, you know, they li- they heard about it. I called them a couple times. We had conversations and, uh, you know, I, gosh, five, five, six months later, they're like, you know what? This is the story we want to have on the cover of our 10th anniversary magazine. Yeah. Wow. So that's kind of how that all evolved. And now, you know, the story in, in Oregon out here is being a lot of news places, a lot of newspapers are kind of picking up on it. Um, so that's kind of how the story develops over these 12 years. Yeah. Um, but for me, in terms of where I am as a coach, you know, I learned from a lot of my you know, coaches at Velpo, the experiences I had was, it was amazing. It's something that I'll never forget. I mean, Velpo shaped me to who I am today. Yeah. And that is something I wanted for all of my student athletes. Um, something I also picked up from Stan Anderson, who you spoke with last time, was that, you know, no matter what the, the athlete, in this case, the student athlete should always be first. You know, there's, there should be no ego in coaching. That's something I've really resonated with me. And I feel like my role as a coach, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, is always to give the student athlete support in whatever they want to do. Um, you know, one of my taglines is helping others achieve their dreams is the best way to achieve yours. Hmm. So for me, I, if I really want to live that out, I have to make sure that I am supporting my student athletes for whatever they're going through. And then I want to help them do what they want to do first. And whatever happens with me, it will take care of itself. And that's kind of my, I feel like that's my platform as a coach. You know, is it great to coach at the University of Oregon? It's amazing. Like, it's no doubt. But I feel like I can, as a coach, you can help those student athletes no matter wherever you are. It doesn't matter what school you're at. And I think that will always be how I feel about working in college athletics. And that's why I want to continue to do it. And obviously, you don't feel like you have to name any names or anything. But you know, when you talk about uh, kind of an egoless coach, um, yeah, give me can you give me some like small examples that, that you've seen or that you do or whatever um, of like a, a coach that's 
focus on, you know, actually helping the student athlete as opposed to a coach who's, you know, solely focused on their own career and it's, it's more on, yeah, they obviously have that ego. What's like a, what are some small like differences that you've seen? Um, I think when you look at it, at the end of the day, it's a bit about, it's got to be selfless, right? It can't be, the goal is to push the student athlete forward to what they want to do. Um, it's got to be about the student athlete, um, always. And that, to me, is the difference when, when it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not into publicity stunts. I'm not into those type of things. And some people might sit here and go, well, you just got your student athlete in the magazine and on the cover of a magazine. They could consider that publicity stuff, right? Sure. Well, for me, I did that because it was going to propel a story about St. Baldrick's to a larger audience. Mm-hmm. And that was an opportunity for the for people to understand that anyone can do this, anyone can raise money for pediatric cancer. For me, there's that's that was the goal of this, for people to understand what St. Bollocks is about and some other things came out of it. And, you know, examples are just, quite frankly, listening to your student athletes, hmm. understanding what they want to accomplish and helping them do that. You know, at the end of some student athletes, they want to become a professional athlete. You know what? We're going to help them do whatever is in, you know, my power to do that or whoever. Some student athletes, maybe that's not what they want. So we have to hear that and we have to help them get out of the college experience that they want. Right? Yeah. And sometimes that's not, you know, I can imagine that's not always seen. I imagine coaches see players as players and want them to, you know, help them in their career, push them forward as winning and whatever. Um, but I, I'm not sure that's ever going to be my my game plan. It's not going to be about me winning games now. Yeah, is college athletics about winning? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I think we can all agree. Most of us can agree. You play sports to win, right? Like right. that's that's agreeable. But in terms of being selfless and doing it for yourself, like you have to understand that if there is no student athletes, none of us have jobs. Yeah. Right. Anyone from the athletic director all the way down to a volunteer assistant. Like, no one has a job if it's not for the student-athlete. And to not see that and actually understand that, I think that's sometimes where it's missed. Yeah. Is people think that they're more important than the student-athlete. And, you know, I can't say I've seen it. You know, I can't say I haven't seen it. I think it's just all around in the world of athletics. I think people can make those assumptions for themselves. I'm sure in their lives they've seen people outside of college athletics who've been on both ends of that same spectrum. I think it lives everywhere. Um, and examples don't always have to come from where I'm at right now. Sure, sure. No, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, I imagine, I mean, this isn't like any sort of huge revelation or anything, but, you know, for a player that really wants to respond to a coach just on the field, um, you know, from whatever they're being told or, you know, whatever the game plan is of how much more impactful it is that, hey, this person that's coaching me right now, they care about me as a player but also a person as opposed to, hey, they just focus on the player and that's going to come off a little more thin um, when you have a kind of more of the actual personal connection there. I mean, that's going to 
that's going to help you win more at the very least, you know, on top of that. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's something that people, you know, have, I've really been realizing is that it's, it's about the relationships you create, um, with the players. Um, it's having them, you know, they got to trust you. You got to trust them. It's got to be there. It's got to be mutual. Um, and just like you, you just pointed it out, you, that doing that alone is probably going to help you win more in the long run anyway. So right. why not take the time to do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, Tom, uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me, uh, pick your brain a little bit and hear, uh, hear your story. Um, what's, so I guess moving forward with St. Baldrick's, is there like, is it kind of a, an annual event for you or is there something next on the plate for y'all? Yeah. So every year, um, April, April or May, I shave my head. Um, and so it kind of depends where I'm at, what's going on. I do know, you know, we, Caitlin is starting the second annual, she calls it the bald fest. Um, that's going to be coming up in April. Um, April 22nd is the date, um, for Oregon's event this year. And I know she got a pretty lofty goal to raise more money than she did last year. And I, you know, I think that's going to be possible. Uh, you know, I know Caitlin's goal is to try and make it one of the premier college events in the country. I'm, I'm pretty sure she's going to be able to do that. I'm excited to see kind of the, the big names that come out to support us this year. And um, really at the end of the day, what people need to know St. Baldrick's, it's, you know, and all the money that's given to the federal government, all the funding that goes to cancer, only about 2 to 4% is even given to childhood cancer research. So it's uh, places like St. Baldrick's that really can move the needle and help us find mm. cures. And that's what makes these events so important. Um, you know, shaving my head and having something go, what's going on? Why do you shave your head? Just to say, it creates the conversation of, hey, let me tell you about St. Baldrick's. Let me tell you about what they're doing. And that's, yeah. that's what these things are about. And I know Kayla's really excited for her, the second one to come up this year. And I'm kind of excited to, to watch her continue that on and really see what other student athletes pick up on it. If, if they do. Yeah. Um, and last year they did. So I, I imagine they will again. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of what's going on here. You know, hopefully someone hears this and goes, man, I want to start my own event. Yeah. Um, and that'd be pretty cool if they do. They should reach out to me or Caitlin or anyone, even St. Baldrick's. I'm sure they'd be more than willing to help. Sure. But uh, in terms of for you, Mr. Bill, I want to say I appreciate you <laughs> asking me to come on. I mean, you talk to some big time people all the time, and I do not define myself as big time whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. um, so I appreciate you calling me, kind of letting me tell this story um, to people and see if that helps just one person. That would be awesome. Yeah. But, uh, you know, keep going. I know, in my opinion, you're kind of the go-to man for American goalkeepers. So <laughs> if people have questions, comments, thoughts about American goalkeeping, they, they need to come to my man, Bill Reno, because <laughs> that's where it's going to be at. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I appreciate it. I love reading your stuff. And, you know, nothing gets me more excited than seeing what MLS goalkeepers, what pizza they like. That's right, you know, that's I, right. We gotta, you got to know. Oh. Someone's got to tell you.